This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. Good morning. I'm Kathy Buckworth, and I'm enjoying a week away from the studio for a family holiday with my grandsons, but I have a great lineup of encore interviews for you to listen to. First up, Peter Mansbridge on his new book detailing his life so far, including, of course, his granddad journey. Then professor and author Tim Caulfield tells us why believing in science is so important and whether it's worth having discussions with those who don't. Take 5 with RBC looks at estate planning for women. Peter Mansbridge is up first. Peter Mansbridge is one of Canada's most respected journalists. He is the former chief correspondent for CBC News, anchor of The National, CBC's flagship nightly newscast, where he worked for 30 years reporting on national and international news stories, and host of Mansbridge One-on-One. He has received over a dozen national awards for broadcast excellence, including a Lifetime Achievement Award from the Academy of Canadian Cinema and Television. He is a distinguished fellow of the Monk School of Global Affairs and Public Policy at the University of Toronto and the former two-term chancellor of Mount Allison University. In 2008, he was made an Officer of the Order of Canada, the country's highest civilian honour. And in 2012, he was awarded the Queen Elizabeth II Diamond Jubilee Medal. He is the author of the instant number one national bestsellers, Off the Record and Extraordinary Canadians, and also the national bestseller, Peter Mansbridge One-on-One, Favourite Conversations and the Stories Behind Them. He lives in Stratford, Ontario. Good morning, Peter Mansbridge. Thanks for joining the show today. Hey, good morning, Kathy. Great to talk to you. I'm going to start off with the dedication in your new book, Off the Record, and it says, for my grandchildren, honor, hope, and rider, so that they have some idea of what Grampy was doing before they came along. I love this introduction, so I have to ask you, tell me about your grandchildren. Well, they're great. They all live in Manitoba, right? Oh, really? Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. Honor and Hope are sisters. Uh, Honor is, uh, well, she's actually in Ottawa now. She's at the University of Ottawa. It's been a little bit crazy with the pandemic uh, when mm-hmm. she's been there and hasn't been there. But she's in chemical engineering, second year at University of Ottawa. And uh, Hope is uh, just finishing uh, high school. Uh, they're two really bright kids, very smart. Uh, and aware of the, what goes on around them. Uh, mm-hmm. Ryder is younger. He's about 10. Okay. And he's in, the, you know, in grade school, but uh, a great little hockey player. Of course. Well. <laughs> yeah. You sound like a very proud grandpa. Um, and your grandkids are, you know, they're, as you say, some of them are young adults. They're getting older. They've grown up sort of in a world where news is now 24-7. Uh, social media is flipping past them all the time. What's your opinion? You know, do you think kids need to know about everything that's going on? There's a lot of conversations around what parents and grandparents should be sharing with their kids and talking to them about how you manage that with your grandkids. Well, you know, all three of them are voracious readers, uh, which is good. And I I really admire uh, that in them. And I'm talking about uh, books more than periodicals, but they're aware of what goes on around them. You know, they're they're, uh, maybe not so much writer, but but Hope and Honor are sort of big into social media, given their age, Mm -hmm. but they're careful. And they're, you know, they're aware 
that there's a lot of garbage on social media, and so they're they're particular about what they read and uh, and what they move around between their friends. Uh, mm-hmm. Their parents spend a lot of time talking to them about these kind of issues, mm-hmm. but they're aware of what's going on around them, uh, and so I don't have a problem with with that. It's 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 when they're not you know particular about what they read, what they see. That's where I get worried. Absolutely. And it sounds like your oldest grandchild is into chemical engineering. That's amazing. Would any of them, do you think, lean towards journalism? And if they did, is that a field you would encourage them to go into now in today's world? Well, you know, obviously, I've you know, spent 50 years in journalism, and I'm a, <laughs> a big fan of, uh, of when it's done well and, and done right. And I think we need journalism as, uh, you know, it's part of a healthy democracy. Honor the uh, the one in chemical engineering, which of course I have no idea <laughs> where that <laughs> came from. Neither does anybody else in our family understand where the desire for that came along. So uh, journalism won't be uh, high on her uh, ideas list for the future. But uh, you never know with the, with Hope, the younger one, because she's the one who's like really voracious reader. She. She's she's big on history. She loves history, especially Canadian history. And um, she's, uh, you know, I could see her maybe one day mm-hmm. being involved in journalism. Ryder's still too young to think about, you know, he, he wants to be in the NHL or you know, exactly. something like that. So we'll see where that uh, where that ends up. Do you think your grandkids have a sense, Peter, of your legacy in journalism and media? Do they really sort of know who you are? I assume you get approached sometimes when you're with them. Yeah, that you know that does happen. I mean, I think they've they're aware to an extent. Now, the older ones have read the book already, so they they have a better a better idea now, <laughs> kind of what I've done in the past. But you know, there's you know there's a, there's a bit of an age gap there between uh, mm-hmm. me and them and you know they weren't even around for most of what I did in my career so uh, that's you know one of the reasons I wrote the book it really is uh, in terms of what's up there in the front pages is uh, you know it, it was a, the ability to to leave a record a written mm-hmm. record of, of some of the things I'd done and you know I, I think a lot of people wish you know their parents or grandparents had been able to do the same thing. It's one of the reasons why I talk today about all you know all of us, including my grandkids, writing down their experiences through this pandemic because that's history. And in mm-hmm. future generations, their children and grandchildren and great grandchildren will refer back to those diaries, if you will, to understand what this period was like. Um, so you know, writing things down and getting a sense of Uh, of your family history, I think, is an important thing. I love that. You're absolutely right. I mean, we don't have to write a book thinking it's going to be an international bestseller like yours, but just getting those those thoughts down for the kids to remember. I love that idea. We did that at the beginning here with my four kids, and I have two grandsons writing down what we were going through. And I think that's a really wonderful piece of advice to pass on to our listeners. So what kind of a granddad or grampy are you, Peter? Are you a pushover compared to how you were with your own kids? Um, probably. I mean, I'm kind of an absentee <laughs> grandparent, sad to say, as I was, mm-hmm. you know, in parenting as well, because I was away so much, mm-hmm. but more, even more so as a grandfather, because, you know, my kids are, uh, my grandkids are in Manitoba, and we've been through a pandemic for more than two years, yeah. and so getting a chance to see them has been rare. 
Absolutely. You know, there was a long period of time where they couldn't leave the province. I couldn't get into the province of Manitoba. That was a little different last year during the summer and the fall, but it's back again that way now. Hopefully it'll open up again in the next uh, the next little while. But, you know, I'm, I've not been a grandparent as I wasn't as a, a parent where I was there all the time. Yeah, it's tough, isn't it? And, and a lot of us, even my grandkids live around the corner, but I'm just on FaceTiming with them right now because we're being extra cautious. So you're right. It's a very interesting and difficult time to be a grandparent and to find ways to support our kids as they go through their parenting um, journey. So Peter, you're also, you're not, you're not really retired at all. You are from CBC, but you're doing so many other things. Tell me about the podcast, The Bridge, which is really very popular. Yeah, it's been. It was started as a hobby two years ago in the 2019 election campaign. I just was planning, I planned on doing it for, you know, four or five weeks. My son kind of pushed me into it and said, you know, you should really do this. There's things you can talk about, and uh, so I did. And it was, it was clear it was kind of popular right out of the gate. And I, you know, I do it from my home. Mm-hmm. And then the pandemic started, so I kept it going, and it became even more popular. And uh, a bidding war started from a couple of news organizations who wanted to buy the distribution rights to it. I eventually sold them to Sirius uh, XM mm-hmm. Canada. And so mm-hmm. it's out there now, both as a regular satellite radio show and as a podcast. And, you know, it's got... <laughs> I don't know why, but it... it, it it's been very successful. It's, uh, you know, they measure things in podcasts by downloads. And, mm-hmm. you know, we're up around total of 4 million downloads after uh, a couple of years of this. And, uh, you know, which in the podcast world is apparently really good. <laughs> it's, ve- it's very, it's very Enjoying good. That. Yeah. I don't think it's anyone's surprise. You're being you're being humble. Um, and I know, speaking of humble, I loved your book, and I loved the the story about, of course, you've probably told this a million times, about how you were discovered literally in an airport um, doing announcements. So I have to ask you, when you're in an airport, do you listen to see if you can find the next great voice? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and sometimes I hear them, and then sometimes I hear some really bad ones. <laughs> <laughs> you're like, oh, five out of ten for that announcement, buddy. <laughs> exactly. Um, no, airports have been a funny part of my career. So many different things have happened to me, starting with that, yeah. uh, getting the opportunity to start working for the CBC and back in 1968 as a result of making an announcement in, a, in an airport. But, you know, other things have happened. People I've met, uh, people who've offered me various jobs. I got a role in a Disney animated yeah. feature as a result of being in an airport when a guy saw me in the you know, going through the uh, security line turned out to be a vice president of Disney. And uh, the next thing you knew, he wanted me in this, in Zootopia, the movie. Uh, yeah, that's that was my Peter voice, Moosebridge, anyway. right? Peter yeah, Moosebridge. Was... <laughs> they even created the character's name for, for me. I mean, so that's, that was, that's... that's kind of fun best granddad role ever, right? Peter Moosebridge. Exactly. Well, to my grandkids, that was more more important than anything else I ever did in my career, was getting that role in Zootopia. <laughs> <laughs> of course. <laughs> well, Peter, the book is full of wonderful stories like that. I really enjoyed I think I read it in one sitting. So great. We can find you as well on Twitter at Peter Mansbridge, Instagram at The Peter Mansbridge, and of course your podcast, The Bridge. Thank you so much for joining. I really enjoyed our conversation and uh, good luck with everything. Thank you so much, Kathy. It's been a real treat talking to you. Take care. 
Timothy Caulfield is a Canada Research Chair in Health, Law, and Policy, a professor in the Faculty of Law and the School of Public Health, and Research Director of the Health Law Institute at the University of Alberta. His interdisciplinary research on topics like stem cells, genetics, research ethics, the public representations of science and public health policy has allowed him to publish over 350 academic articles. He has won numerous academic science communication and writing awards and is a fellow of the Royal Society of Canada and the Canadian Academy of Health Sciences. He contributes frequently to the popular press and is the author of two national bestsellers, The Cure for Everything, Untangling the Twisted Messages About Health, Fitness, and Happiness, and Is Gwyneth Paltrow Wrong About Everything? When Celebrity Culture and Science Clash. His most recent book is Relax, Damn It! A User's Guide to the Age of Anxiety. Timothy Caulfield is also the host and co-producer of the award-winning documentary TV show, A User's Guide to Cheating Death, which has been shown in over 60 countries, including streaming on Netflix in North America. Good morning, Tim Caulfield. Thanks for so much for joining the show this morning. Thanks for having me on. I'm really excited to get into this conversation. You are such a guru when it comes to the spread of misinformation and helping us sort through it, and it is rampant right now. Did this start with COVID, or has it always been out there? Well, look, I I always joke that misinformation has been around as long as we were able to communicate with each other. So no, it did not start. (laughs) It did not start with COVID. It was really bad health information, I think, for decades. But, Kathy, it was accelerating. You know, I, I think forces like social media, forces like celebrity health gurus, and, it, and forces like the anti-vax movement were gaining momentum before the pandemic. But for sure, for sure, during the pandemic, the spread of misinformation really took off and did incredible harm. And I've been studying misinformation for decades. And to be honest with you, even I was surprised at the scale of the problem that's out there. But yeah, for sure, misinformation was around before the pandemic, but it did incredible harm during the pandemic. I guess it was almost like a perfect storm, wasn't it? When you think about the pandemic hitting at the same time, social media had already taken such a great hold of our lives. And we read so much online. We joke about Dr. Google, but this was way more advanced from Dr. Google. This was beyond that. You're right. And it seems obvious, you know, Kathy, to say, um, you know, the problem with social media, but there's a good body of evidence now that tells us exactly that. And not just in North America, research is telling us that, you know, social media is driving a lot of the misinformation really around the world, regardless of the country, regardless of the culture. This is largely, not entirely, I think that's important to recognize, not entirely, but largely a social media phenomenon. Let's dig into this a little bit. So what are the most dangerous false facts you have been seeing or hearing lately, particularly as they relate, you know, more to our audience, sort of, you know, seniors 55 plus? Well, look, I think, you know, there's so much misinformation, it's hard to pick, right? There's so much out there, it's hard to narrow down. But let's focus on the misinformation that creates doubt about public health measures. You know, I I think those are the kinds of bits of misinformation that can do real harm, especially if they feel kind of credible, if they feel kind of sciencey. So, you know, misinformation about the idea that COVID will change your DNA, misinformation about the idea that it's still, you know, experimental, misinformation about the idea that there are effective therapies out there like ivermectin and hydroxychloroquine, no evidence to support those. those. I could go on, but, you know, those bits of misinformation that really, you know, create doubt that sort of add to any hesitancy that's already there. We know, and again, research has backed this up, it did real harm. 
But having said that, you know, we can't ignore the stuff that seems really bananas. You know, the <laughs> idea that, you know, that the vaccine was a plot by Bill Gates to right, put microchips right. in us. That sounds absurd. But we know that a large proportion of the population believed that or, or at a minimum, they were open to the idea. And we also know that kind of misinformation did harm. So even, Kathy, even the stuff that seems really out there can can fuel hesitancy can, can fuel a misinformed public discourse can do harm. So things like, you know, as you chatted, the Bill Gates, you know, microchip thing, for a lot of people, they're like, well, that's ridiculous. And we can, some of us can say, let's put that one aside. But some of the other ones that are slightly truish sounding, how do we know what's real and what's not? Like, where should we go to find out the real scoop? Well, you know, I, I understand that people are confused because, you know, it's getting more and more difficult. It is getting more and more. Mm-hmm. The information environment is just so incredibly chaotic. But you can do a couple things. You know, always ask yourself, what kind of evidence is being used here? Mm-hmm. And that may sound like a big ask. It's not. It's not. Is this just a testimonial? Is this, this uh, right. someone's opinion? Is this just an anecdote? Are they referring to secret information? Always ask yourself, What's the body of evidence on this topic? And we know vaccines work, for example, in the WHO, in the United Nations, mm-hmm. the public health agents. You know, go to those entities that are aggregating the science in a responsible manner. So do that. Also ask yourself, is this person selling something? So not just right. a product, but an ideology, a brand. You know, are they trying to push some kind of narrative? That's relevant, too. So just those two simple steps can make a really big difference. And the other thing I think it's really important, especially because the information environment is just so chaotic, take that beat, take that, you know, just pause Mm -hmm. for a moment and ask yourself, you know, the social media is frantic, right? You know, just taking a beat can make a difference. And again, good evidence to back this up. A colleague of mine, Gordon Pennycook, he's an experimental psychologist here in Canada. He's done research that shows that that simple step, just pausing for a moment before you share can make a real difference. Oh, that's great. I love that. That's great advice. One of the things that I think a lot of people are dealing with is dealing with family members or close friends who are seeing science as opinion. Can I put it that way? How do we deal with that? Is it worth having the argument or the conversation? And how so? Well, first of all, I'll say off the top, those conversations matter. So, so important to have those conversations. I know they're not easy. Uh, I know they can be uncomfortable. They really do matter. There's an interesting study. It's kind of a depressing study, Kathy, that came out very recently that found that about four Forty percent of Canadians have lost a relationship as a result mm-hmm. of tension over, you know, COVID. And largely, we're talking about tension caused by misinformation. Let's be honest; that's really largely what it is. So, mm-hmm. have those conversations. We know they can make a difference. You could probably guess what I'm going to say, but that doesn't mean it's not good advice. Use empathy. Mm-hmm. Listen. You know, find out where this perspective is coming from. Tell a story. Explain. You know what it meant to you. Find that common ground. Leanne Kaufman is President and CEO of the Royal Trust Corporation of Canada and the Royal Trust Company. She is responsible for the strategy and overall management of RBC Royal Trust, which provides wealth protection and transfer solutions across generations to high net wealth Canadian families. A lawyer by profession, Leanne brings more than 15 years experience, knowledge and a client-centric focus to the business. Good morning, Leanne. Thanks for coming back on the show today to talk about this really important topic of estate planning for women. Good morning, Kathy. It is common for women to live longer than their male counterparts. What impact does this longevity have on women for their own financial security? Well, first of all, women may need their money to last for quite a few years longer than their male counterparts. But at the same time, they might find that they actually have less financial independence, particularly if, if they happen to step mm-hmm. out of the workforce 
for any caregiving purposes, either for their kids or for older relatives at any point. Also, because we tend to outlive our, our male partners, we will likely also at some point be responsible for the full weight of the family finances if we aren't already in that position. So, you know, this may be a new role for some women. So we really need to make sure that we're financially literate and, and knowledgeable about, about that aspect of things. And then finally, I would say living longer means, you know, that we also have the chance of developing caregiving needs ourselves. Mm-hmm. So it's important for us and our care in our later years to make sure we've kind of well-documented our wishes and what our intentions are through things like powers of attorney. Yeah, great points, especially, you know, I do have quite a few friends who don't know what's happening financially in their in their own homes, and that's really, now's the time to get that sort of under control as well. Yeah. And traditionally, women are and continue to be the caregivers of the family, as you discussed. What advice do you have for the women who are in this role? Well, they should really be considering their own financial future, as, as I mentioned in, in the first question, and trying to mitigate any negative impact that that caregiving role may have on on their financial futures. So, for example, you know, women might end up with lower pensionable earnings if they do take a step back from the workforce to be a caregiver for a period of time. So to the extent possible, just being mindful of this and maybe, you know, trying to outsource some of the some of the caregiving mm-hmm. or finding programs so that they can really limit that risk to their own financial future if if they have the option to do that. And, and then, you know, to help them in their role and to ease that burden, it, it would be great if they could also be encouraging the loved ones that they might be caring for to have their own plans in place yeah. so that it's less work for them when they're already, you know, probably emotionally charged and exhausted, not having to navigate a whole bunch of other legal mm-hmm. processes or so on would be much better for them. Well, that's a great point. So as we're talking here, some amazing points in terms of, you know, managing your own financial plan, but also the caregiving of, of your loved ones. So what would you like women to take away from our conversation today? Well, I think women, we really do need to protect ourselves through comprehensive retirement and estate planning that should include at least, you know, two areas of consideration. So first, like we talked about, the impacts of being both a caregiver and a care receiver, thinking about what those financial impacts will be to their financial independence if they do have to step away, and then also, you know, have they given thought to the cost associated with being the recipient of care. Mm -hmm. And then the second area being the impacts of outliving our partners, uh, if we have one. So what will happen if the family's wealth is fully transferred to the woman? You know, are we prepared to take on the full management of that if we're not doing it already? And, And then, of course, what changes might that have to our lifestyles if we outlive our partners. So, you know, will our living arrangements need to change? Will be will there be less money to live off or or possibly, you know, more as a single? So revisiting those estate plans and, and the correlated will and power of attorney documents would be required. And so again, just, you know, thinking about it as as early as possible and documenting those intentions with support from the professionals who, who do this all the time. Well, thanks again, Leanne, for joining us as part of our Take 5 with RBC series. And if we want to look up more information, we can certainly go to rbc.com slash Royal Trust. Thanks again for all your valuable advice. Really appreciate it. Thank you, Kathy. Have a great day. You too. And that's our show for today. I'll have a whole new episode for you next week. Wine expert and author Natalie McLean tells us how to set up the perfect wine tasting evening. And author and self-care expert Erica Diamond tells us how to approach goal setting. 
Of course, we'll have another great Take 5 with RBC interview, giving you the financial advice you need. Don't forget, you can listen to Go To Grandma anytime on our podcast, which has just recently started hitting the top 100 Canadian parenting podcast list. Thank you. I'm Kathy Buckworth. Enjoy your grand journey. Share your thoughts on this show with us. You can find Kathy on Twitter at Kathy Buckworth or email her Kathy at KathyBuckworth.com. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.